Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is on Crazy Rich Asians, the new, the actually the number one movie in America as of the recording of this podcast, and uh, it's become a pretty big deal because it's a romantic comedy, and Hollywood doesn't really make that many of them these days, and I'm uh, really excited to be joined by Fred Cobb and Logan Abbott, who uh, you heard Fred on the Mission Impossible podcast, but they both joined me on the Movie Pass podcast as well, too. Guys, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to share my grounded and nuanced take on this movie with the rest of the world. <laughs> and I am super excited to talk about this movie. As you know, Josh, I was a huge fan, so I can't wait. Yeah, I think Fred kind of uh, tipped his hand a little bit as to where he's going to stand on this right now. But uh, for those of, <laughs> uh, for those who uh, just uh, either are still trying to decide if they want to see it or not or needed a quick refresher on the plot, Crazy Rich Asians is about uh, a woman named Rachel Chu who is a uh, NYU economics professor and a Asian American or Chinese American who was born and raised here, and she has a boyfriend by the name of Nick Young, who invites her back to Singapore to meet his family and go to the wedding of his best friend. She does not know, despite the fact they've been dating for a year, that his family is probably the richest family in Singapore. And so what she thinks is going to just be a regular trip to see a wedding turns out being a whole referendum amongst the entire Singapore upper class and specifically Nick's family as to whether she is a proper match for him for several different reasons. And while that sounds kind of serious, it's still a comedy and it's very funny and a lot of comedy ensues, but also um, some pretty heavy family material. And I think it's, uh, it does accomplish a lot for a movie of the genre, but uh, Logan, you, I knew going, I knew uh, from talking to Fred that you were pretty excited going into this or was there any specific thing that was attracting you to this movie or are you just a big fan of romantic comedies in general? And if so, uh, based on what you look to get out of the movies of the genre, uh, how did Crazy Rich Asians do in living up to those standards? Yeah, so um, I love rom-coms. They're like my favorite feel-good movie just because I know anytime I finish watching it, I'm going to be happier than I was when I started, <laughs> which is always a great thing in uh, this era of politics in the world. Um, but no, I saw actually originally saw the preview for Crazy Rich Asians. It popped up on Facebook because, you know, I am their target audience <laughs> and I was super excited about it. Actually, it looked absolutely hilarious. Um, I would like to think that uh, Facebook's like a little more nuanced than that. They're not just like 20 something year old girl show her rom-com trailer, but I, maybe, maybe that is how they do this. Oh, you're so naive. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that really drew me to it is just the diversity of the film and the fact that, you know, all of, not just all the major characters, but literally all characters with speaking roles are in fact Asian. I think there's only only like one white character in the film that actually gets any sort of speaking, and that's the man at the very beginning who she's playing poker with. And I was going to say, the first time I was like, was there really no white people that talked? And then I, I saw it again, and I was like, oh, I guess that guy might have gotten like two words in, and that's literally it for the whole movie. Yeah, that's for, it. Like, and, yeah. I mean, the preview didn't obviously didn't show that, but um, just the diversity of it, the humor in it, which I felt was very very on point really for the the movie itself as well as um it wasn't just like dirty humor it wasn't it wasn't you know game over man from netflix which is a movie that drives me crazy personally um and it was just it was my type of humor so i was very excited for it yeah well it, it sounds like you got a lot out of the comedy and uh, as you said uh rom-coms that have happy endings are going to 
leave you feeling pretty good. And I, 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 I would agree with most of your sentiments. Uh, but So to bring things down a notch, I'm going to throw it to Fred for a second. Uh, Fred, not that you dislike this movie, but it seems like you have... You really want me to start pooping on the party so early, Josh? Well, I was going to give Logan as much time as she wanted to talk, and then she stopped. So I guess... I'll, oh, sorry. I'll, I'll, so I, we'll, we'll come back to you in a minute. But uh, Fred, I'm, I, I, would, I would just say before I go to you that I am more probably in agreement with Logan and that I... I really liked it. I feel like it gave me more than your average rom-com in many ways in which I think we'll discuss. But uh, how about we just let you talk now and say it seems like you didn't dislike this movie, but maybe you just uh, didn't like it quite as much as the masses seem to. So uh, you can even talk about what you like, but where, where, where do you think you're differing from kind of most people on this? So I do want to preface my spiel by saying very clearly that I do want people to see this movie. Yeah. I think it's good and I think it deserves an audience. I just want to make sure that people don't get the wrong idea from the, I think it's 92, 93% score on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Yeah, 93. Because people are going to go in with these gigantic expectations that it's the funniest movie made in the last two decades, and I don't think it matches up to that hype. Um, I think it does personally, but that's just me. All right, so let me clarify <laughs> why I think so. I'm not a huge fan of romantic comedies to start with. I would say in this entire millennium so far, I've seen three romantic comedies that I like, and that's Meet the, uh, Meet the Parents, Wedding Crashers, and Forgetting Sarah Marshall, all of whom are at least 10 years old at this point. Yeah, none in the last 10, I was going to say, none in the last 10 years. And that exactly. honestly kind of coincides with when they stopped getting made a lot, too. But uh, that's con very continue. So my exposure to them is very limited to begin with. Um, but I just don't find that particular humor all that funny, necessarily. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, I really appreciated Crazy Rich Asians as a sort of portrayal of class differences and i did like the very serious aspects that um it kind of showed how different people who are born into wealth deal with it and how somebody who really pulled themselves up on, by their own bootstraps somebody who went to school studied hard became a professor how she is able to kind of tackle these people head on because they're so entitled and their wealth is something that they are so used to that they completely fail to appreciate somebody who worked incredibly hard for their success. So I like the serious take on that, but I don't know. The humorous aspects just didn't work quite as well for me. I will admit I was one of maybe five or six guys in the entire um, movie theater when we watched it. Well, we did so, go on. We did. Go, we all did go on the Wednesday it came out. Uh, the first Wednesday they did the event showing called Ladies' Night or whatever. So I yeah, think Girls' Night Out. It's, it's, it's not specifically it's not, called it that at uh, AMC. So, so not, not surprising that, that we were in the minorities in our respective theaters. <laughs> not at all. And I should clarify that there was a ton of laughter all around me during scenes where I was just kind of sitting there thinking, "Oh come on, was it really that funny?" So I think I should probably be very honest that I don't consider myself as the target audience, but I just think that there are some people who generally don't like rom-coms as much, might be incentivized to see it based on the great reviews. And I do want to caution those people that it's really no better than your typical rom-com, a pretty solid rom-com, but... It won't make or break the genre for you, probably. And I'll, I'll say one thing to what you said about just it not being the funniest movie in two decades. I don't even think it's the funniest movie this year, even if I liked it better than maybe a couple other movies. I, I, just this year, I say I laughed at Blockers and Game Night a lot more. 
but they're not rom coms. Yeah. yeah, and Walker's, I mean, closer to be a rom com, but that's not really about the romantic relationship specifically. It's more about the kids and their parents and what they're going through. And so while this is a little bit different in that regard, I think the thing that makes it stand apart for me, and while the comedy might have just made me laugh more than it did for you, I think it was like I just enjoyed getting to uh, learn about a culture that I just wasn't that familiar with. Uh, Logan made the comment about the diversity of the film, and just in a nutshell, it's important to have people that look different on screen, and it's just not a movie about a bunch of white people like most movies are, and I think that obviously is very important, but also just learning about another culture in general. Like, uh, I think, unfortunately, the stereotype of all Asian people is that, oh, they're just all about working hard, and they're just going to do that, and they're going to be completely happy when their kids work hard, and that's all they really want, and work hard, make a living, and nothing else. So I was really ignorant that there was this even divide amongst different Chinese cultures. He, Nick even makes the comment to his mom, oh, I thought you'd be happy that I brought back an NYU professor as this girl that I brought home. Chinese girl, it's not like he brought home a white girl, basically, is what he's basically probably saying. It's like, shouldn't you be happy about this? And there's this whole divide where it's like they see Chinese American people as like of a lower class, and they probably even see people that are not even American in any way, but just Chinese that have less money is that's going to be really objectionable to people with that wealth. So I, I think there are rom-coms that are better than your average run-of-the-mill rom-com that still don't even give you like this whole entire insight into another culture that I just found really interesting on top of all the comedy, uh, which was that well-executed. Uh, Logan, wh- wh- what, do you, what were you thinking about all that? Because you did make the comment about diversity. What did you think about this, like learning about that side of Asian culture? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was something that I was incredibly interested in. And what I did really like about the film is that it was a movie about Asians. But in reality, if you listen to um, or read anything that the author has written about writing the book and about the movie, is that it was written with American audiences in mind. It wasn't written or directed with Chinese or foreign audiences in mind. So it's a really great way for American audiences to really get this exposure to this different culture and these different class divides in that culture that, you know, a lot of us don't necessarily share in a way that we can understand and feel for. Because um, you mentioned the, the different levels of class in the Chinese society. And I think I read a really great article, actually, from um, Refinery29, It was written by Connie Wang. I have it up on my computer so I could reference it correctly. Um, It's called The Problem with Crazy Rich Asians is that it's not actually about us, which seems a little bit misleading, but it's basically talking about the fact that it wasn't made for Asian, it wasn't made for Asians, it wasn't made for Chinese people, it was specifically made for Asian Americans um, and overall Americans to kind of understand what was going on. I thought that that was really interesting. I like watching things that are a completely different window into a different culture. And I felt that this was very accessible in a very funny and relatable way. Because even though I'm not Asian, I'm not Chinese, I felt like I could relate to Rachel Chu very well, especially as someone who is dating someone of another culture who had to meet the parents of someone from another culture for the first time a year and a half ago. So that was fun. (laughs) Well, yeah, and, I know, like to think my family was a lot nicer to you, though. Yes, they yeah, were. I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, that's why I thought it was kind of interesting to have you guys on as guests. I assume that, like, um, 
Fred's family didn't, you're, you're still together a year and a half later or whatever, so I'm assuming Fred's family didn't just give a thumbs down, but yeah, you guys probably <laughs> had, a, I had a more unique perspective since I've never been a part of a multicultural couple of that nature. Uh, so maybe you guys do have a little bit of an additional insight you can provide in regards to that, but I think I have seen a little bit of that same criticism too in that uh, some of it coming from people that are also even Chinese American or just other people that just know more about Chinese culture than me that are like, oh, it's not really representing all of the different uh, different cultures within Chinese culture all that well, which is just a seems like a very unfair standard given how massive China is. It's like a lot of these actors do come from very different like different parts of China or Chinese adjacent countries or. I'm I'm a little ignorant. Fred can probably speak to some of this better than me. Like how um, Singapore, Malaysia, and all those different con- countries are still part of China. They, they they drew actors from a lot of different different places, and I think it is really important. Even if, yeah, it's not going to necessarily. It's probably going to sell better and maybe be a uh, maybe directed more towards American audiences than someone in Shanghai. I think it still is really important in, that they made this movie in the way they did. We talked at the beginning about no, no, basically no white people at all. It's just that this movie is going to be the number one movie in America for probably two weeks and with a, bun, a bunch of actors that most of us have never seen. And uh, the, 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 guy that played, the guy that played Nick Young, uh, Henry Golding, had literally never acted before. So wait, really? I didn't know that. He never. He might have had a, some kind of model. He was like a TV show host in Malaysia, and huh. that he might have been in a few television shows. Like he was literally like the a, a, a co presenter on something called the Travel Show, which I think was like on hmm. BBC, and hmm. uh, might have had like a like a or no, I guess oh, I, I think on um, IMDb it looked like he hadn't done anything. It looked like he might have been in one Malaysian film before. Had really had no other acting credits to his name, and. They found him out of nowhere, and I think it's important just for diversity in film going forward because a lot of times it's like, oh, well, like we can't just have a movie with no big-name actors in it because then how, like, how are we going to like attract people to the theaters? People aren't going to want to fund it then if you try and do it that way. And here it's like uh, – I mean, Constance Wu is like an actress with some profile because she's been on like Fresh Off the Boat and Michelle Yeoh who plays Eleanor. I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff, but by, the, by, by most standards, none of these people are stars in America. And it's going to be a. This is like a big rebuttal to anyone that says, "Oh, you have to have stars. You can't just and Asian Americans or Indian Americans or people like that. Like, you can't just have them like lead a film all on their own. You need to attach some other big star." And I think this proves that's not exactly the case. And that gives this movie some value even before you get to its its merits. You know, because it's going to be really successful. Yeah, and all those actors and actresses you just mentioned, I think, did a very good job. No question about that. I just wish that they had tried a little bit harder to flesh out characters on the periphery because you do find a lot of cliche characters there. Who are you thinking um, about? For starters, well, there's the Asian porn producer and his oversexed Asian girlfriend who's also making porn movies. Then, of course, you have the party boy who has a rocket launcher during the big party on the boat, which I also thought was a bit excessive. Oh, I read, and, I read uh, something about how like, in a lot of movies that guy would be like the token Asian and it would look like really bad. But when you like have so many other different types of characters and it, it doesn't really mean as much, you can just be like one weirdo out of a bunch of like a very diverse cr- cr- crowd. So that, I, I see what you're saying about him, knowing that he wasn't exactly the most layered. I also laugh because you know that actor is on third uh, on uh, Silicon Valley, and it was just kind of funny <laughs> to see him get to like inhabit like a total monster more so than his character right, and, even is there. <laughs> and you know those characters only take a very small part, so that didn't bother me too much. But the two 
actors that actually kind of struck a wrong note with me were Aquafina and Ken Jeong, who just huh. kind of seem to be acting in an almost entirely different movie because the rest of the humor is kind of toned down and almost pretty sophisticated, I would say. But the two of them, they have something going for themselves that's a bit more, I guess, shrill, maybe is the word that I'm looking for. The humor is just a little bit more in your face, a bit more aggressive. And well, it just see, felt very out of place to me. I know we talked about it a little bit right after we saw the movie, Fred. Um, but for everybody else, I looked at that as um, a critique of the differences in class in Singapore. Because if you notice, when she comes in and she meets Aquafina's family, and she's like, wow, this, this house is amazing. It's modeled after Versailles. There's so much gold and white, and it's so glamorous. And... You know, her family is very loud and upfront and in your face. And then you realize that, you know, this isn't the type of family she's going to be meeting later. The type of family she's going to be meeting later is the old money, not the new money that she's around right now. Oh. And so, so that's how I read it. And that's how it made a little bit more sense to me. Because, I mean, if you notice, Aquafina had no clue how to conduct herself when she actually got to the party where Nick's family was, where all the old money in Singapore was. And it's part of the reason why her family's not invited to a lot of things. That's really I interesting. I totally agreed with that take, but I just wish it had been presented with a bit more nuance. See, I actually like, I, I actually laughed at, I mean, I, I laughed at Ken Jong's Asian Ellen joke. Uh, I'd say nothing. Him doing, <laughs> him, but, but, but him, but him doing the, the fake accent. And like, I, I didn't necessarily need that. I mean, I guess he was yeah. trying to he was trying to weird Rachel out. I didn't need their son being a total creeper, or if they insisted on doing that, I would have preferred them called him out on being totally creepy instead of like R- Rachel and <laughs> her mom. Him. Rachel, yeah. Rachel and her mom is laughing at him later, like it's no big deal when he's being a, per- a pervy stalker. They could have uh, th- th- there was not that did not seem all that essential. But I I actually really enjoyed Aquafina. I don't know why. I get I, I can't disagree with Fred saying that she was probably on a different wavelength than a lot of other people in the movie. But I was like kind of I was kind of intrigued by her in Ocean's Eight, and I hadn't really seen her in anything before. But like that character really didn't have a lot to do in that movie besides like steal a couple things and just be like that was it. Everyone's like, hey, stop stealing my watches. She's like, sorry. And um, and then another point, she I guess has to pickpocket one person, and I, I I felt like I got a much better sense of who this character was, and even before Logan put it in that context, because I hadn't even been thinking about the old money, new money thing, and that's actually really interesting because I did think like, wow, I wonder how these people made all their money, but I hadn't thought it in terms of wow, this family behaves really differently, even though they're obviously fairly well off. It's just they're still like in a totally different stratosphere from the Youngs. Well, if we're going to look at the movie kind of in a more in-depth philosophical way or the book. Um, you're, making which, sound, you're making us sound very pretentious right now. Oh, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> you can you can extrapolate anything. But if you really look at it, it is kind of a, a critique on class. And oh, for sure. And especially because um, I know originally when they were when this movie first got greenlighted, they were going to try to make the character of Rachel too white. They wanted to cast a white actress oh, in it to make I'm it really more. Glad they did it. Oh, yeah. Well, they wanted to try to make it more relatable to white audiences, exactly for the reason that we were talking about earlier, that there's this fear amongst Hollywood execs that if you don't have big name star power behind a movie, it's not going to succeed. And so in the producer's mind, at the very, very beginning, that was how it would have to go. And I'm really glad, obviously, that they didn't, not only for the diversity perspective, but also because it would have made the movie something different. It would have been a critique on racial divides within multicultural families or, you know, a white person coming into an Asian family. 
um, as opposed to what it really is, which is the whole class divide within the Asian diaspora. Wow, I sound very pretentious. <laughs> no, 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 no it, it's 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 a good point. I was I was just I was just, uh, just making a joke. And uh, Fred, your point's well taken on uh, those other two characters. But what did, did how did you think the movie? I mean, even if the comedy didn't work for you as much as it maybe did for for us, what what did you think of how the movie just kind of handled the different levels of class in 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 China? Well, as I was saying earlier, I actually was very intrigued by a lot of that. I also liked that the grandmother, for example, um, she doesn't get that big redeeming scene at any point. Oh, yeah, and she's just Once like the she... sweet old lady up until that point. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. But there is no reconciliation at the end between her and Rachel um, because she's very set in her ways. She's a very traditional person, and you don't get a happy end with her. And I kind of like that. I thought that this is way more authentic than I was expecting it to go. Well, they, um, they announced a they sequel today, so who knows? Maybe she'll still be around for that. Yeah, maybe that'll know. change, right? Yeah. Um, I do think, even though the movie raises some very good points about how you choose to present yourself to other people, even if you have a lot of money, that sometimes it just took the easy way out by milking rich people spending money for laughs, which is kind of an issue I have with a lot of comedies, that people are supposed to think it's funny when people drop a lot of money on something. And, of course, that was bound to happen in a movie called Crazy Rich Asians. But in those cases, it doesn't really matter to me whether it's white people spending money or Asians spending money. It's still not particularly funny to me. And to be fair, the movie avoids that pitfall a lot. But... For example, during that bachelorette party on the yeah. island. I don't think it looks favorable just, upon them as they are doing that shopping spree. Yeah, that just seemed... I mean, I kind of figured that that's how that bachelorette party would go, but it really didn't need that to happen. Yeah, I mean, like they're, you, know, you, you get the point that they're not the, they're not the best crowd, uh, given what happens with the fish uh, and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. But I think that uh, they, they, they at least wanted to show that... Um, I don't know. I think what what they do with that other character that's the... I, I do think it was at least kind of necessary to set up, like, what exactly their expectations had been of Nick when they introduced the Amanda character, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that was the one he was supposed to end up with. And mm-hmm. then she, she's not so friendly as she initially presents herself to Rachel. Like, I, I thought that was actually kind of interesting and a little more nuanced than, obviously, them just uh, chopping up the fish. But I guess, in theory, that kind of thing... I, I mean, it's not... An, it's not based on a true story, so I don't want to say that's something that uh, definitely could easily happen. But uh, you know, in, in a way, I could see like someone saying that might have been a little over the top, whereas uh, maybe some other kind of more subtle sabotage might have done the trick and not felt as uh, as out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but let me ask you one other thing, since yeah. you brought up Nick. Um, did you feel like the movie let him off the hook a bit too easily for not telling Rachel at all who his family was? I think he dropped that bomb on her a little bit too late. That is something he probably should have mentioned way before that trip. Just as a quick aside, (laughs) look, my family has money, so when we go there, there are some things you might want to do or not do. Because I'm getting the sense that he just wanted her to be herself, and that's a great message to send. But at the same time, it also caused a lot of unnecessary problems for her once she actually got to meet the mom. So I think the movie never really addressed that properly. He's still the sweet boy with the friendly smile, and everybody is in love with him. But I think he really screwed up on that end. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) I was going to say, if you tried to pull something like that on me, I would have killed you. (laughs) Uh, 
But no, I mean, I think that the movie really did let him off way too easily because all we got was, you know, his cousin Astrid being like, you didn't tell her. Like, how could you not have given her any warning at the very beginning of that party as she's being interrogated of, oh, are you the shoes of this dynasty or that one or whatever? Um, I thought that it, that A, the movie let him off way too easily and that B, Rachel actually let him off way too easily. I felt like she was a very, a strong character, very real character. And she, I felt like honestly that she forgave him too easily for that. That sounds like a conversation that is safe to have at like the six month mark at a relationship. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, they, they kind of portray him and that whole family as being like super, super famous. And I mean, obviously a big deal within the Asian culture is they show that whole gossip scene just going on just everywhere amongst that whole text chain sequence at the beginning, but it seems like they're... Which fa- I like, by the way. Yeah, it was I fine. that was a pretty cool scene. It's fine and kind of funny how Rod got to his mom's friends pretty fast, but, like, it seems like they're a big enough deal that, like, it's almost improbable that, like, uh, a ch- like even someone that's purely, like, very solidly American like Rachel wouldn't have figured it out on her own, but, like, it seems like once she hasn't, like, dumped him after six months like he probably could have it's more believable that at that point he should have come to the realization that oh she likes me for me she's not in it for anything else and then then you have that conversation it'd be one thing if he did it on like the third date but six months mm-hmm. okay and then a year before you like actually like I, what did he think was going to happen like I, I don't understand what like what he thinks the best case scenario <laughs> is like one, one, once they're in that living room of a first class compartment uh what what is he expect? What is the best version of that conversation for him? And it's kind of charming. Oh, we're comfortable. Oh, that's totally what a rich person would say. And did he not think it would ever come up the rest of the trip? You know, it's not very all that clear. And because he, you know, he has it in the back of his mind that his whole family wants him to move back. And I, I think mm-hmm. he, went, he went into it without a game plan. And I guess that could speak to more to just that character not being like the just being having an easy, happy go lucky life and just assuming things are going to always work out for him because that's probably how it goes for people that rich. But, yeah, I think as far as how Rachel could have handled him, yeah, it's a tough situation, and, like, I, she probably wants to make the most of it. She has a year invested in that relationship. But as far as, like, the ending, if you want to talk about that, I think that's a little more complicated. I get not just, like, throwing a hissy fit in the middle of the trip, though, with the guy you've been dating for a year. Like, you, you have a lot invested in it. Yeah, I mean, really quickly before we talk about the ending, I just wanted to add in one more thing that – you know, her not being aware of who the Youngs are, even though they're the biggest real estate developers in Singapore, yada, 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 I think just goes to add the fact that, you know, for that part of his family, she's not Chinese enough. But in America, she's too Chinese. And we kind of saw that throughout the whole movie is this this concept of the fact that, you know, she... And it's something that her mother says at the very beginning, you know, she looks Chinese, like, to everybody here, but in her mind, she's American. And that's something that's kind of reinforced over and over. And to be clear, I, um, I don't the movie. I don't know who the biggest uh, real estate developers in Singapore are, so I don't want to get yeah, I know, exactly. the time. Yeah. But but at the same time, this movie takes place presumably in 2018. I'm sure if you just like randomly met a dude on Tinder or something, I don't know how they met, but like if you randomly meet someone anywhere, you're probably going to Google, Google the guy. You're going to Google them at some point. Like it would be hard not to find that out by accident, I would say. But I mean, you got to suspend, I guess, a little bit of disbelief for the movie to have the premise that it does. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we can we can we can move to the end first because I then I want to work backwards and talk about the B story with Astrid a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. what, what what did you guys think about the end? Because we we touched on it a little bit where the grandma does have that turn and. I guess Rachel just, um, it all happens very fast when they're at the wedding reception and 
Uh, at first, it's not even totally apparent that like Rachel didn't know any of that stuff. They were somehow able to find out. So what did you think of that whole sequence where uh, her mom gets called in? I think they have a very touching scene. But then it happens all pretty quickly that she meets with Nick. She has, and then they, ha- they have the Mahjong scene. And then all of a sudden, uh, when it seems like she's made a very firm decision, that gets turned around pretty quickly on that plane scene. How, how, what did you think about how that unfolded, Fred? Oh, me first? Oh, yeah. I thought you going to have Logan go first. <laughs> I oh. can go first. Whichever, right. whichever one of you wants to jump in. Right. So there were a lot of things that I actually liked about that. For starters, as I said before, I didn't think it was everybody's happy and we're all going to party together now. The Nick's mom showed that she respected what Rachel did. Because of the, ring, because of the ring? Yeah, because of the ring. I thought that was actually a very great, very moving moment because now you see, okay, she's fine with this, but it's not, like she's, it's not like she's running up to her, giving her a big hug and jumping in her arm when, when she shows up at the engagement party. And I think that sets it yeah, up. That's, exactly. that's one of the interesting things to look at with the sequel. It's like, I mean, she respects her, but like, it's not like you said, like super happy giggly at the same time, you know? Yeah, there's that brief look um, that they exchange at the very end. And I didn't really get the sense that they're all of a sudden totally in love with each other. She's the new mother-in-law and uh, everything is forgiven. But, you know, they might have a slightly different, more respectful relationship going forward. And I thought that was a good way to tie that up. Logan, what did you think? So I really liked the whole ending sequence, starting from actually the wedding on. Um, I thought the wedding when the bride was walking down the aisle and all the camera angles. Beautiful scene. It was beautiful. And I just, I loved Nick and Rachel and their, their eyes and just looking at each other and how clear it was that they were so in love with each other mm-hmm. really set up a really great high for it to drop very, very low um, during the reception scene, which I loved. Uh, the, the difference, obviously, not what happened to the reception scene. But I thought that the whole sequence really did a great job of coming full circle. My biggest pet peeve in movies is when there's just unnecessary scenes or unnecessary information that's given that's never brought back at the end. It's never tied up into a nice little bow and shows this is why we showed it to you from the very beginning. So I loved the Mahjong scene because it it harkened back to the opening scene where, you know, Rachel's going through the motions with the guy playing poker saying you're not in it to win, you're in it not to lose. And that's why you'll always end up being beaten. And it was (laughs) and it was just completely reflected at the end when she was playing Mahjong with Nick's mom because she had figured her out that Nick's mom wasn't playing to win. She was playing not to lose. She was playing to keep things the same. Yeah. And so that's why she was able to beat her. I like that you brought back, brought up Nick's mom again, because that's like one point I forgot to make. And that I think the movie is like, and just we're talking about Nick too and his allegiances and whether or not like he handled everything the best. I think it, it does really touch. And aside from just in general, how multicultural relationships work when you're bringing someone that's from a different background home, I think it, it just gets at that, like, how, how much does it mean to you to have the significant other, like, be accepted by your family? Uh, assuming you're totally in love and everything like that, like, how much of a value should you place on that? And how, and then how much should a family let it be known when they disapprove? And how much, to what extent? is it their place to say something if they actually feel that way? And, and I guess it obviously depends on their reasons because her reasons were kind of uppity and, and snobby and you chased your dreams. It's so American of you, all that stuff. Mm. And mm-hmm. I thought that it did a really good job of just having, having Rachel call her out on that. And Nick obviously felt like 
in written in Rachel saying how she makes it easy on Nick, you know, like I, I, I don't want to have to put you in this position. So I'm going to do it for you because I really love you. But at the same time, she's like calling Eleanor out and she's like, look, I, I, I'm not going to like put this whole dagger within your family. But the fact is like, I, I'm, I'm just, it's your you, fault. I'm, like, you yeah, made this happen I'm, yeah, because th- you didn't, yeah, because you didn't accept me. Now I'm forced to make the hard choice. Right. But also because she did that, like Nick's going to resent her. Like there's no way around it. There's nothing Rachel could do to stop that. And I thought like, well, not only is Rachel making the hard choice, but like going back to the beginning scene, like she's giving Nick's mom what she wants, but Nick's mom still isn't winning because I mean, she, she talks about the fact that, you know, I could be with your, your, your son. That's what he wants. Me winning would be that essentially neither of them are really winning. Both of them are just not losing because Rachel winning would be ending up with him. And that ends up happening. Yeah. Towards the end, but when she makes that decision, she doesn't know that. But and I think part of the the beauty of it is it comes full circle when they're on the plane and Nick is proposing to her and saying all the things that he should have said from the very very beginning. So he's kind of making up for that. And then when we see that it's the ring, his mother's ring, which they very pointedly, you know, point out to us as this was given to her because the grandmother wouldn't give her husband her ring. And so I like I liked the full circle of everything right. that a, happened there. That's the other thing I forgot to mention. That it's really interesting. We learned that earlier in the movie that like she was actually in this position once before, and she is still where she wasn't really being that accepted by in, into the family because she, she's the one that married in, and and to, to have her actually kind of come to that realization and just be like, look, I'm, I've been preaching family this whole entire movie, and now I'm going to do something that while. If, if if I if I stop them from being together, it, it's going to kind of be the I'm going to be the one now that's doing something that's going to really make the family be a little splintered. It's unavoidable, even if Nick is living in Singapore. But 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 basically, I think what they they, they set that Mahjong scene was just so well done, and you totally even if you don't see some you don't see the scene you don't or I guess you see you see them walk up to each other in their house at some point after the Mahjong scene. But you don't actually see whatever conversation Nick and Eleanor have after that. But that Mahjong scene is so well done that you don't need to see it. You can kind of infer what all their choices were after that point. So I, I, I didn't necessarily. I, I thought it was totally economical and well set up, and that they just got to that point where he's on that plane, and I and I and I totally understood why. And we already discussed that like it didn't put everything in like the nicest, tightest, and prettiest of bows at that uh, engagement party. Even if, ever, if even if a lot of the people are happy, but like there's going to be another movie, and I think that's where I wanted to go next. And talking about like we just found out today as we record this that they did greenlight a sequel, which is not at all surprising. But I think one of the reasons why I think there's so much room left for a sequel is that, um, well, as Fred said earlier, he might have liked to have a little bit more development from some of these characters. But I think you can tell that like Gemma Chan is like a she'd done a lot of more she'd been on she'd done a lot of stuff before this movie too. But like I think she is like a obviously very talented actress and very beautiful and all that and it's like i thought they gave astrid a pretty full arc within this movie but like they could do so much more with her on top of like the characters that they already did develop in this so what did you guys think of that b story that they that they did with her and how that would be kind of worked in into a a bigger part of a sequel well logan has a pretty controversial opinion about that actually if you want to share that go uh yeah so i really wasn't a huge fan of the the B plot that Astrid was involved in. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, I felt that it was a little it was a little stereotypical. Um, I felt that it was just incredibly depressing, and there wasn't really a moment where 
I mean, we got, we got the scene at the very, very end during the credits where she kind of winks at the guy. But it just felt like all the movie was doing was just kind of beating Astrid down. And I understood why it was there. It was the basically the exact foil to Nick and Rachel's situation where, you know. That's how it, it could was, go wrong. Yeah, like that's how it could go wrong. Like this is what you could do. But at the same time, I didn't feel like there was ever any acknowledgement from any other characters that this is something that they could learn from. It's not like Nick knew what was going on with Astrid and her husband. It's not like he could have learned from it and made another decision. Rachel knew what was going on, but it basically just looked like it was a warning to Rachel of this is what you have to look forward to instead of something that I think Nick should have taken in and should have learned from. Fred, do you, I also would do you have, agree? Uh, not necessarily, although I would have preferred it if um, Astrid's husband didn't have an affair because that seemed kind of a cliche way of destroying the marriage. An I easy, would have liked it a lot. Easy, easy way to make the audience take sides. Yeah, exactly, because I do think that there are some very valid points raised in that relationship in the sense that it is difficult to be with a spouse that has considerably more money than you do. There are challenges in that, no doubt, as Rachel is learning throughout the entire movie. But now that you've added in the component that the guy is cheating on her, well, of course she's going to be in the right. And I think the more interesting take on it, that it's very difficult to reconcile a marriage that takes place between people who've grown up in such different circumstances, I really think that point was um, lost a little bit, and I think that's a shame. Even though I did think that they played that arc very well in what is essentially a funny movie. Um, there was a lot of poignancy to it. And I did appreciate that the movie tried to tell that story as well and didn't just go for cheap laughs um, throughout the entire time. That was good. Yeah, I can't disagree with Logan that it was, like, super dark. And uh, and I guess there is a way, like, I don't know. For You don't want romantic comedies to end up being, like, two and a half hours, so I understand there's only so much time they can devote to that. And I think there is something to be said for the fact that, like, if Nick had been a little bit more involved in that plot, it probably, like, feels a little bit more at peace with the rest of the movie. And, uh, but, like, I, I don't know. And I, and I actually like Fred's point, too. Like, I, you guys are, like, pointing some stuff out to me that I probably didn't pick up on my own. I like Fred's point that, like, he didn't even need to cheat on her. He could have just been like he could. You could have even still come down on her side if he didn't cheat on her. If he was just like being a little more, just being pretty resentful because he should more so than he should have been. But that's just not what they did. So um, yeah, I don't know. But like, I, I really like that actress, and I think that I mean, I like obviously there's that thing in the credits, and that that guy is actually like a not a nobody actor. He was on Glee, so who knows? It seems like they're. they're oh. Yeah. It, now I recognize yeah, him. Yeah, I was like so confused when I first saw him. I was like, I know that dude. Where? How do I know that dude? And it was just like driving me crazy until I got home and could look at IMDb. But uh, yeah, that'll be a part of whatever the next movie is, I'm sure. And I don't know. It's like there's obviously if you have a sequel, like you obviously have other stuff you can probably work out between between Rachel and Eleanor. And I'm sure there'll be normal, typical wedding hijinks and all that. But like. Who knows? Maybe it'll be more 50-50 split between the wedding stuff and whatever Astrid's going through. Because I think Gemma Chan's going to become an even bigger star by the next time this comes out because she's going to be in Captain Marvel. So, uh, yeah, I, it'll be really interesting to see how they decide to handle that going forward. Did you guys have any other thoughts? I, I'm, I feel like I've well, kind Well, of... I think specifically on that, um, something that I left the movie feeling is I felt like Astrid kind of embodied this stereotypical Asian wife 
like stereotype, if that makes sense, you know, very uh, accommodating, very sweet, like very much like keeping up appearances. Um, and that was something that I wasn't a huge fan of. But I think something, and we've been talking about it, something that you brought up, uh, Josh, is that, you know, in another movie, that would have been the stereotypical character. But in this movie, with all of these Asian characters, it's just kind of one person. Because you can be that that type of person. Just because you're Asian doesn't mean that you have to not be that to be a person, if that makes sense. And that's kind of something that I've realized as we're talking about it. Yeah, well, I, but I also think, like... Uh being as put together as she was and trying to put on a good face and everything, that's like a rich person thing too, though. I think even, yeah, even more so than an Asian person, like they're just gonna, they're gonna put up appearances and that's just kind of like how it is. But yeah, no, I, the, your, your, your point's well taken on that, but I mean, I hope that like they, they give her more to do and yeah, I fl- flesh the character out better going forward. Cause like, I think she's like a, still like a, a very intriguing screen presence. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Like I, I mean, my hope is going forward for the sequel is also that they don't take the meet the parents route because those movies just got progressively worse. And essentially, this is kind of a version of meet the parents, right? You're being introduced to the spouse's family and things don't necessarily go that well. But now everybody's sort of at peace. So I'm just hoping that they don't go too crazy with the comedy going forward, that the jokes become cruder and that they just keep trying to top the previous installment. Because I did think that a lot of aspects of the movie worked very well for me as a balancing act between being more poignant and telling a very interesting story about different cultures and also having a couple of good, funny moments. And I'm just hoping that they're able to balance that out going forward and don't decide that they need more crazy laughs in it. And I can see how that would be a, um, a bit of a problem because, like I said, I, was, I, found, I found it very fulfilling and very impressive for a, a rom-com too work in all of this cultural commentary and now that they've done it it's like there's only so much that you can do if there's another movie you know what i mean i mean i i, yep. I, I well actually i don't necessarily want to say that with any great deal of authority because i am not any level of authority on um asian culture but it does seem like you can't go back to that well for another two hours you know what i mean so maybe they will just be like oh we'll make it more of a comedy having fun at rachel and nick's wedding and whatever and it might just be more straight comedy and i can understand why that might worry you giving worry you giving the parts of this movie that work better for you more so than others i, I will say um it was certainly just as a quick aside it was a fun movie to look at you know um say what you will about excesses and all that and whether or not like we sh- we should be too happy with seeing wealthy people being super extravagant but i had fun looking at the movie visually apparently i was just watching before we got on like some of it was actually cgi at certain parts, like what where, really? Where there, where there were like a, I, I'll send you guys the link to this afterward. But I was just in the middle of watching this video where John Chu, the director, was showing how like the scene where Aquafina and Rachel approach the party is actually like a lot of the sh- exterior shots from the house are CGI, like the the big lake of oh, water yeah. next to it. It's like kind of something like that. But like I still like looking at all like the super fancy stuff, stuff like the rich people they got really into, like the flowers. Even like that was kind of fun. Um, and um, I'm not sure if I'm mixing this up right now, but isn't he the same guy who directed the uh, Step Up movies? I think he did Step Up two. I don't know if he did Step, Step Up, up one. And I, I've, okay, I, so he has some experience with musicals and colorful backgrounds. So he's right. a well chosen director. Step Up is that, I, I, weird that I have opinions on this, but I actually think Step Up is a much better movie than Step Up two. But Step Up two has much better dance sequences, and <laughs> I, I, I did really like the. Um, some of the, at least a few of the music cues in this movie were actually pretty good too. Um, I guess what, what was it? They they had like the the Chinese 
cover of Material Girl, I think, and when they were doing the uh, oh yeah, they did yeah, and of the yellow, scene. yeah, we'll play right. So like, there are different like very cool little twists and just other things on there that on top of everything we already talked about, it just makes the movie a more fun viewing experience when you can enjoy looking at it. I, I don't even think like we could have talked for ten minutes about that wedding scene, like you mentioned, Logan. Like I was like yeah, because I was like caught off for a second. I was like, wait, is this the wedding? Because like the way they had talked about this wedding, I, I was like, man, this is gonna be like a massive like extravagant thousand person wedding but this just seems like very very tame and low-key and then it's like oh like here's where they spent all their money like doing this amazing like water thing and then they like just like, yeah. was like shot very beautifully and looked really cool so i don't know it, it was certainly like a, a lot of fun to look at and had all that uh, fun music and it, it just it's nice when you can like round out its edges with like very impressively with those kind of things but yeah uh any other final thoughts on things i didn't touch on guys Oh, I think we covered it pretty extensively, actually. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I could spend like 10 minutes talking about how much I loved the uh, Chinese covers of all of those popular songs and how well it encompassed the movie, but yeah, so I think I'm, that's I'm sure, I'm sure, what we need. Yeah, and I know, I'm sure, and I'm sure they'll do more of that in the sequel, because like, that's like, a, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about how they enjoyed that, and there's obviously like, mm-hmm. en- endless possibilities for anything you could get your right, get the rights to, so uh, mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Uh, before we leave, guys, any, anything that either of you want to plug? Any uh, blogs, Letterbox, Twitter, anything like that? Well, as always, please follow me on Letterbox. My name is Fred Kolb. That is F R E D K O L B as in boy. Uh, and um, I am on all the social media Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, and blog actually at uh, Signed Logan, S I G N E D Logan, L O G A N. It's all my handles, all my websites, so feel free to check it out. Very consistent, smart. I'm, uh, I'm, and as usual, I'm at Josh Jernavoy on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, one word on Twitter, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I. But Fred's Letterbox puts my to shame. I don't even know how Fred has a full-time job because he's just, like, cranking out all these. <laughs> he's, like, he has time to crank out all these long reviews of movies. And I'll, I'll, like, watch six movies and do, like, two paragraphs on each of them on Letterboxd. And it takes me, like, four hours. So uh, Fred's definitely a much more worthwhile follow than me on Letterboxd in that regard. But check all of us out if you so choose to do do so and thank you thanks for listening and we'll see you next time